Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 17. Revenge is not the answer. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Welcome. 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 That was my AOL impersonation, AOL guy. <laughs> I don't know if that worked. He was on Jimmy Fallon like a w- couple weeks ago. The original oh, AOL voiceover guy. You know. Wasn't he like, I thought he was like the CEO or something. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. But he came out and he did a couple of little, he only did like two or three of those little, you've, you've got, got mail. mail, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> but anyway. You've got tuned into a podcast. Welcome to Person of Interest Podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to Person of Interest on CBS. We're so glad you've tuned in this week. My name is Daryl, and I'd like to think of Doug as one of my nutball friends. <laughs> and I'm Doug, the, the aforementioned nutball. Yes, thank you. You know, I was listening to the opening there, and I finally heard... The Morse code you stuck in there. Did you now? You people have got to figure out what that is. I mean, he told me about it before. I hadn't quite thought it was a, a different frequency, but I, I listened and I got it this time. So, yeah, that's I like the intro. That's cool. Well, I tell you what, maybe if you'll remind me and, and you think it would be okay, maybe I'll I'll reveal the hidden message on the season finale. Oh, yes. Oh, we could do that. Yeah. You get, you've get. you got, there's your, there's your time period, folks. There you go. You've got okay. a few but episodes left. We are not there yet. That's true. We are on Person of Interest Season 4, Episode 17, and that's what we're covering. It originally aired March 10th, 2015, entitled Karma. Yeah. Karma has a way of coming back around, doesn't it? That's right. What goes around, or as, uh, as, as Yoda might say, what around goes around. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Absolutely, I like that. Well, this is a a part of the Golden Spiral Media Podcast Network. We are a listener-supported podcast network, and we're so glad you've tuned in uh, to be a part of this uh, podcast today. You're the reason why we do this. I mean, of course. All right, let's be real, Doug. We do enjoy talking about person of interest. Lots of fun. Yeah. Great fun. Lots of fun. But we could do that with without microphones and have a lot of fun, but the listening audience is a tremendous part of this podcast, whether you are a, a feedback contributor or a harasser of us and other person of interest fans on our Facebook page or Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we are so grateful to have you a part of this podcast. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, this is going to be an interesting episode to talk about tonight, Doug. The ratings from the listeners were all across the board. Oh, man. Uh, you loved it or you hated it? I guess so. Although I think more of those are in one category than the other. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some uh, ratings, uh, starting with some TV ratings and some other news. What do you have for us? Well, first in the news, I have uh, I have some news about Sarah Shahi. Now, she and her husband had uh, well, she had come off the off the stage, so to speak, of the list of characters. Yep. She, as we have seen, is kind of 
hold up somewhere that at uh, the Greer has got her uh, stuck in for now. So she's the actress is kind of off the stage here. Well, the reason she was off the stage is because she was getting so pregnant that it wasn't, you know, safe to keep her, you know, working. So on March 1st, she and her husband had twins. Yes, indeedy. Uh, two uh, girls, Violet Moon and Knox Blue. Interesting names. I wonder if they get into a uh, into an argument. Do they clash? Thank you. <laughs> I'm wondering. Uh, Violet seems like a a girl name. Knox. The only Knox I know is a is a guy. So are they are they not identical twins? Or do you know? Do are they? I do not know. And I I thought I had seen two girls. I'm I'm. Um, oh wait. No. Yeah. Uh huh. So this is, is this two um, girls. I think I think it is two girls. I'm pretty pretty sure that's what it is. A rep for Shahi told people that it was another home birth. She's mm-hmm. done this before. Shahi experienced her first home birth when she delivered her first son, William Wolf, in 2010. Now the way they say that first son, maybe Knox is a boy. Anyway, I never thought I would be one of those wacky chicks who said I loved my labor, but I loved every part of it. It was the best <laughs> day of my life. Shahi explained back in 2010. I have more information on this, but. It's spoilery, so we're going to check it down to the spoiler. Okay, I was wondering if you were going to if you were going to mention the other part. I was about to, so I'm glad you said it. We're going to save it so that I don't say yeah, something. Yeah, never going to save that. Yeah, was, uh, congratulations to her. That's that's awesome to hear that they uh, had their babies and that everybody is healthy. And we wish all of them the best. It's hard for me to. I mean, I always see uh, her husband. I can't think of his name right now. Um, just right there on the edge of my brain. You know, he played Van in Reba. And I always think of him as that goofy Van character. And, and of course, he's been on Shameless and done some other work. Uh, yeah. Steve Howie. Howie, that's it. Yes. Um, so, anyway, congratulations to both of them. All righty. And we have some ratings information, some news here. POI scored a 1.5 rating in the key demographic. Six uh, for the night. It was down 0.2. It's one of the lower echelon uh, ratings for this season. And it had 8.67 million viewers, down about 800,000. That's quite a bit. It was fourth mm-hmm. night, though, still. It's still a very respectable placing. Um, I think the usual, it's usually like fifth in the demo and third for the number of viewers. And I think the reason that got messed up was because of the voice. It's back, and so it's uh, it's it's pulling a lot of people. And it, it goes uh, right up until 10 o'clock. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that kind of changes the uh, well right after the voice is chicago fire and and it's at the 10 o'clock uh, hour and chicago fire had an unusually good night i've looked back at some of the uh, previous numbers and it didn't we've always beaten it handily but uh, last night it beat us in the demographic and it only lost to us by about a hundred thousand viewers yeah yeah, so, yeah it, it did it did, did very well following the voice yeah well, this uh, this episode was written by Hilary Benefiel and Sabir Perzada. I'm really hoping I haven't destroyed those names. <laughs> and uh, directed by Chris Fisher. With that's an easy one. And and we'll, I had one tweet I want to ke- catch a little later. That uh, Chris was tweeting all night on this. Uh, cool. It was really good. Re- nice to get some of the background. And uh, he had some pictures of you know the the scenes being shot. You know. They call it, and, and I didn't, you know, you see a bird's eye view. It's a, a BEV uh, or a, when, when it's coming from the bottom, it's an ant's eye view or something like that. I forget what the actual, they actually use a term, something like that, uh, but different point of view. Well, they have a machine's eye view or machine point of view, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there are different people who are like, when you're seeing the shot through this camera, they have a special, you know, 
you know, whatever they're doing with that to, to po- process it, to make it look like it's a machine. So it was, uh, you know, all that set up. It was really cool. So anyway, you need to catch some of these, uh, these folks who are tweeting. Uh, there's always at least a writer or there's a director or one or more of the uh, cast mm-hmm. uh, live tweeting it. So it's really cool. What is his Twitter handle? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know off the top of my head, but I have it here. It is. And I had it written down. It's called, oh, it's very interesting. Widget Factory Co. Like company. <laughs> Widget Factory Company. Widget Factory. Really? Okay. Don't know what that means. I don't either. Alrighty. Well, we have some old news first. Uh, we got the uh, scribe running up the uh, old news and uh, making sure we do everything right in the right order here. And Janae uh, wrote to us and she said, I finally caught up. I've been a fan of person of interest in season one, but when season four started, I had half a season three sitting on my DVR unwatched. I work full time. I got two small kids who like to go to bed late. I've been trying to catch up since August. And today I finally watched last week's episode blunt. And now I'm listening to your podcast on it. Thank you very much. Janae. Your podcast of the show was, was a big reason I wanted to return to the show. I've been a fan of the fringe podcast co-hosted by Daryl, and the Almost Human podcast, co-hosted by Daryl, and of Witness Prophecies. And that was, uh, it's, uh, is that Karen and? Jamie. Jamie, yes. Mm-hmm. You do great podcasts and have your insightful commentary and a community with which to share my love of these shows, and it just makes them so much richer. Now I can actually go on the Facebook page without getting spoiled, yes, and or send feedback that is timely and relevant. All right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the great podcast. Okay, thanks, Janae, for writing a movie. We really look forward to hearing from you. We do. I'm glad you caught up. Welcome. And, yeah, looking forward to hearing from you with current episodes. All right, Dale. You know, we, we talked about ratings before, how mm-hmm. we've got kind of a you know a dichotomy here. What did, what did you give this one this week? Uh, this is a pretty low rating for me. I give it a seven. Uh, seven planted photographs. Hmm. What about you? I, you know, I, I, I was really rough on this one. I gave it six Ooh. strips of duct tape. Now, I, the, the reason is that, you know, I, I've heard some people talk about the fact that they like shorter seasons because you can't, because it reduces the need for fluff episodes and uh, just filler, that sort of thing. So they call them filler. I call some of those character development. Right. So I'm not, you know, you know, a 13 episode season, a seven episode season, you know, Sherlock and the BBC is three, you know. Right. So I, I do like the longer ones because you can do things that are not necessarily overarching plot related. Mm-hmm. But so you can see a little more of what goes into some of these characters. This one, I, I, I don't know if we really got as much out of it as as, as we could have. It was we gave a bit more depth to the Finch character. Mm-hmm. I got to see some of his background and, and, and the reasons, you know, the decisions he made then and how they related to the decisions that were being made now. But we took an entire episode to do it, and I wasn't really – it was really well done. Most of the action in, like, the third act was when they are you know, finally figuring out what's really going on, and they were just talking to each other mostly. It was just all exposition. You know, here's Edwards is doing this. Now he's doing that. Oh, now he's doing that. And Fusco, you know, this is wisecracks and stuff. You know, Fusco is back to his old, pretty much his old self as a, as comic relief. So, eh, wasn't that thrilled with it? Yeah, I, I echo a lot of that. I think too that it was 
it was weird, I guess, to see the mention of is it Jessica? Is that right? The name yes. with um, uh, uh, Reese's ex girlfriend. Yeah, but we haven't we haven't heard about her in a couple of seasons. Uh, if, I, if my memory serves correctly, I didn't look that up. But I mean, even from the beginning, she's not really been much of the storyline. At the very very beginning, she was when we were first getting to know Reese. I don't know that there's really any. We don't. I, for me, I don't ever need to hear or learn about her again. Um, and maybe that's because she's been so far removed. I don't really care about her anymore. So it seems like she was just brought into this storyline in the in a, in a small way, just to kind of try to force Reese into a perspective, um, or to uh, it, for what was paralleling in, in some regard to the killer here with his wife, or not the killer, the POI. Um, We'll talk about whether or not he was a killer or not, but mm-hmm. it just seemed a little bit forced, a little bit out of nowhere to try to to try to force a fit, and it didn't really work for me. Uh, the, there was definitely some character development with with Finch. I liked that, but again, at the end of the day, I don't know what we gained from it all. It did seem a little bit out of character for Finch to have this past. We'll we'll talk about it as we you know go through the episode discussion. But now, will it tie back into some things that we're going to see? unfold with the machine versus Samaritan near the end of this season? Maybe, maybe, maybe. So they've established some things that are going to be more relevant. Thank you very much. Uh, as we go into the rest of the season, there it is. But for right now, from my perspective of, of, of this chair today, yeah, seemed a bit forced and a little bit too much like an old episode, not really where the show is at today. And so it seemed like, I don't. I don't think it was filler. I wouldn't call it that either. I think it was definitely designed to be character exposition and character development. But it, it it didn't work for me as much as it as it I would like for it to have. They have done this this character development this type before, but they've done a better job with it. I thought. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's definitely fair. All righty, we had some more ratings from folks out on the uh, intertubes on our Facebook page and also via their feedback later on. Vivek gave it seven beautiful dates. I guess ones that you don't get stood up on, I guess, you know. Or with the fruit, you know, maybe he just loves beautiful fruit. Oh, 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 you're right. Yes. Oh, how could I forget that? I don't know. It seems obvious to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Zachary, no shocker here, right? You and I both <laughs> gave it low scores. Zachary <laughs> gave it 10 out of 10, 10 blown up batteries. <laughs> he noted it was for the sixth time in a row. Yeah, huh? yeah. he likes these kind of these episodes. Yes, and that's great. We love the diversity in in the ratings, and and it really helps bring a different perspective to the podcast as well. So that's great. Uh, Jerry gave it eight. That's it's up there. Eight revenge plots from characters in person of interest. Yes, indeedy. And Roy gave it six. Talking shrinks. No, he's down there with me in the point mm. in the points over there, and is so is Jeff with six out of ten hostile heralds. I like the uh, the rating there. I mean the uh, the descriptor or whatever you want to call yes. it. <laughs> Andrew gave it seven point eight nine. Very precise. Mm-hmm. Returns to the library. That's true. Really? Yeah, it was nice to see that. It was nice to see that again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I guess if they've kept the uh, they kept the set around. Yeah. I am Groot. Top of the line. He loved it. Ten frame jobs. Very nice. Benson gave it eight out of ten years of grieving. Nice. Wow. Yeah, I like that. That's heavy. And Joseph said it needed more cowbell. All right. Thank you, Joseph. 
That's right. <laughs> if I could do a Christopher Walken impersonation, I would be all over it right now. But uh, he'd be walking all over it. That's I can right. hear it in my mind, but I don't think I can make it come out in any way that would just be nothing less than embarrassing. So I won't try. Okay, so we have a POI, which mm-hmm. we always, yep. almost always do. Shane Edwards, but before we really get into the meat of what he's doing, uh, we do see a little bit of a uh, machine's eye view flashback down to 2010. And we get to see that fateful day again when Nathan got blowed up real good. The, uh, <laughs> he got blowed up real good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was, I, I thought the acting here by uh, Michael Emerson was really, really good as far as his dealing with the wheelchair. I mean, you, they needed to really make it obvious that he has come a long way mm-hmm. since, uh, since that accident, you know, in terms of his ability to get around and that sort of thing. And so uh, I liked how he uh, made that a little more obvious. Yeah. You know, I did too, actually. It was nice to see. Uh, I didn't think about it to see how far he's come. I'm glad you made that point. Uh, I, it was nice just to see uh, Michael Emerson portraying that, you know, taking that injury to a different level because he doesn't do that very often, right? We've seen him freshly wounded before, but this was still uh, fresh, but not, you know, not after it just happened. So very, but very soon he's still in the wheelchair and all that. And uh, I thought he did a nice job physically with his body limitations, both within the wheelchair, the way he, you know, now he's, he kind of has to turn his his shoulders to turn his head, but there he was like having to turn his whole torso to, to really move. And just some of those little things that I was really uh, impressed with, with the way that Michael Emerson physically took on uh, the, the injuries of his character with you. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, and I, it's, I, he does a great job in terms of, of acting that part, you know, as the current day Harold Finch having to keep that, you know, that, something of a disability, very difficult to move his arm. You know, he said the whole, the, the shoulders have to move in order for him to turn his head, that sort of thing. He does a good job with that. And uh, uh, I don't think he ever breaks out of that. Um, I haven't said, not that I've noticed. It's, it's something that we would, I think would almost bang. You said, when we first saw flashbacks of before the accident, it, it was so odd seeing Harold being able to, you know, he was running on a treadmill, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. the first thing I remember uh, way back in season one. And it was very interesting to see that, you know, it's like, just kind of jarring, but anyway, yeah. And then he threatens uh, Corwin uh, because of the death of Nathan, and she, you know, in, in, involves a special counsel and Northern Lights and all that stuff. And then I thought it was very interesting. I hadn't hadn't thought this would. Ha- that was a, it was a very good surprise here, where Finch's number comes up. You know, buddy, you are going to be a victim, or maybe you're going to be a perpetrator. And you know, that's uh, because a lot, when when Nathan's number came up, he was going to be a victim, and now mm-hmm. here comes. Uh, here comes Finch with his, as we see later on, bomb plot. It's, well, you're going to be the perpetrator, and I know that. I can see that. So, you know, the, and I wonder if this was the point where he realizes what he might become, what he might wind up doing. And is this the time he leaves Grace and lets her, lets, well, he did let, it, let her feel that uh, or believe that he was dead in the, uh, in the explosion. That's right. Yep. He's already, that. he's already. He's made I was that say abandoned. I, that's not quite the right word, but yeah, he's already made that decision. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you know, I was thinking he was thinking that uh, that over. Maybe maybe what he was thinking is I don't have any ties anymore. So yeah, maybe that was where that 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 line got crossed right at that moment. Yeah, it was really interesting as as we look through the flashbacks of of 2010 to see 
the path of, of Finch. I mean, I, it, I didn't see this coming where he was bent on revenge where, you know, his, like you said, his number, we weren't really sure what to do with it. And, and, uh, later in the episode when the phone is just ringing and ringing and ringing. And then when he decides not to blow her up, it stops. I mean, all of that was very interesting. Uh, I did enjoy it. I, I, I did. I might've given it a six or so had I not, but again, I uh, walking away from the episode. I'm not sure that it changes anything or affects anything because he's not the Finch that, that exists today. Although it helps us understand where, where he got to the point he is today. But I was pretty surprised that, that, that we're seeing him, out for revenge with this lady, were you? No, I, I thought it was uh, it was a good um, something that we did not expect to see out of um, out of Harold. Yeah, I liked I liked that that whole um, we get to see that progression. Now we you know, it's all it's all in one episode. It's not you know extended over time like the uh, the reconciliation between he and Root. But you know I do have I mean, he could have used the machine as a tool of revenge. Potentially, you know, a little changing your things around. He could have he could have done whatever he wanted with it. But um, but I think his set of ethics were formed in part because of this experience with uh, with Corwin. So, yeah, I think and he 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 walked right up to the edge of the cliff. But, you know, he walks back from it. And like you said, I thought uh, the the uh, sound effect of him sitting there, the button ready to be pushed. And in the background, you hear the payphone ringing you know yeah. it's like his his conscience is calling you know yeah that's exactly right and it was a little weird to see him pull a bomb out of his coat pocket too and the very tv looking bomb right you know yeah. like three <laughs> sticks of something electrical tape together little wires hanging around you yeah and no one seems to notice which i guess i mean we all just keep our eyes to ourselves and and don't really pay much attention when we're out and crowds like that so i guess it's not too surprising but it's, uh, it's like he wasn't even trying to really trying to conceal yeah, it at all why pull it out of your jacket if you don't need to, if you're not going to put it on the car right then you know well, uh, yeah. i'm sitting here looking at the car it's still here oh sure yeah. enough put it back you know yeah. Uh, yeah that was a little was a little much but you know you, you gotta let the know what's going on that's yet. right that's right <laughs> <laughs> now i liked the the um the view of Finch at the psychologist. Now we've had, you know, Reese talking to Ivy, the PD psych. Right. And now we have Finch sitting in there and I'm thinking, you know, it was, as we see later, you know, as a few minutes into it, we realize he's just there to get in there, drop his uh, camera pin in there and hit the road. But uh, I did like, he did almost seem like he was really opening up. Maybe he's that, that good of a, the character is that good of an actor these days. I don't know. But 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 that was very uh, talking. He was talking about when Nathan died, you know, how he handled that and, and uh, you know, his feelings about that. I thought that was uh, really good to uh, uh, you wonder if how, how much of that was really uh, the character doing acting or if that was really what was in uh, on his mind. Yeah, no, you're right. And it was uh, I think the doctor thought that Finch was probably talking about his, his wife or some other you know lover type of thing, but uh, and not a dear friend like Nathan was, but I think there was a lot of truth to what Finch was revealing in that, in that moment. Don't you? Yeah. I think we get a little more insight into what he was. Uh, I mean, he had to make it convincing. So it, the best way to do it is uh, to, to make something convincing like that. Just make it true. Yeah. And then we get the next person in the doctor's office, this young lady in a wheelchair 
She's now feeling a lot of those emotions that we see Finch was feeling, you know, during the flashbacks that we just talked about. She wants revenge. Uh, she's never going to get to walk again. The guy that did it to her is walking free and continuing to party and do things that hurt her in the first place. So she's got revenge and um, bitterness in her heart. And this is where we kind of start to get a, a peek into what's going on. Because at this point, we really don't know. We don't know what to, what direction this this show is going to go. And it did take a little bit of a different direction than I was expecting at this point, where it looks like the doctor's a little bit of a vigilante trying to, I guess, um, bring karma to those who have harmed other people, if you will. Me is the hand of karma. That's there you right. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like, yeah, very, very, I don't know, um, obvious. Once you get past um, Angela, who was the uh, girl in the wheelchair, once you get past what her uh, what her issues were, what uh, her concerns were about this guy who had uh, put her in the chair, yes, you see, you can. It's 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 telegraphed uh, quite a bit there. So I, you know, it seems to be obvious that he, either he is going to be the ultimately is going to be the perpetrator, and and you know that's a good question. Now in this particular episode, was he the victim or the perpetrator? He was a victim. He, he was he was going to perpetrate his own. Uh, his own death, does that make him a victim and a perpetrator, perhaps? Uh, he did not, you know, his other, uh, the things that he did to deal with uh, Angela, they, did, they didn't kill anybody. And I believe that the machine is only looking at, uh, at something that will result in, you know, death uh, one way or the other. You're the, you're the victim of it or you're the one who pulls the trigger, uh, something like that. But, um, so this guy's situation it sounds like he's going to be a perp, and essentially that's what the uh, team machine starts to th- say. Hey, you know, when if anything bad is going to happen to him, they're willing to just let it happen. But yeah, I think that was kind of where where this co- where this goes into. Uh, you know, trying to deal with where where is he in this? He uh, put a guy in jail that he really thought was deserving of it. He wasn't trying to uh, uh, falsely accuse anyone, but he was trying to do it himself. And not often is it's when like we said, the, as the title here, revenge is not often the, the way to go. Well, that was one of the, the interesting things about this episode. Um, I don't want to talk about the end yet, but the end also did this sort of thing where there was some different views that you could take on it. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy that hurt Angela, I think all of us would agree, he deserves some jail time for, for what he did to her. Now, we can probably argue on to what extent he deserves that, but I think we could probably all agree that he shouldn't be out there doing what he's doing, getting off scot-free, which is why our POI decides to to turn vigilante. At the end of the day, though, he's planted evidence on this guy. He, he Yeah, he got the guy locked up, but under false pretenses, and he's done that before. And so, yeah... Uh, the machine kind of allowed it to happen. There was no murder involved and that sort of thing, but people's lives were affected. Bad guys. I think we'd all agree. Bad guys lives were affected by it, you know? So, but it's interesting because we're, we're kind of still left at the end of the day going, well, wait, should he have what the, should the team have stepped in and are they going to just let that slot? You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. and that is interesting. And we'll, we'll talk, I think, we need to talk in, for, about some of this at the end when we talk about the ambiguity, amb, amb, ambiguity 
of the uh, the way it ended, but I guess with him being a vigilante, it it left a lot of things kind of iffy in places that are it's not normally iffy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, we'll get to that at the end too. I think, yeah. I think that's uh, there's there's a lot of questions this brings up. Yeah, um, yeah. So, some are, are you know uh, relevant moral questions. Some of them are story issues that uh, we may have. <laughs> right, right. So. Then they're going to go to this uh, this gala. He's speaking at this uh, uh, dinner. This I, it looks like it's a uh, you know thousand dollar a plate or whatever, maybe more, probably more uh, thing. And and uh, Reese manages to get in with the. Uh, it just so happens, just so happens that Iris, the PD psychologist, uh, has you know has a, a standing table at this thing, or yeah, uh, is trying to get more cops involved in it. So all of a sudden, Fusco and Reese are all. Big on this guy. Okay, fine. Fair enough. And that, and I don't know, Fusco seemed a little out of place, but, uh, but Reese manages to, uh, you know, to t- t- kind of look the part. Yeah. And, and do a great job with that. Well, at this point in the story, I'm a little bit confused. I, I think that I've got the whole thing figured out. I don't quite. I think I got pretty close, but, you know, we, we see the guy planting evidence. We already talked about that. Now, uh, it just seemed a little bit convenient or a lot of bit convenient that his car blows up and the killer of his wife shows up, uh, just happened to get out on, out on parole. All this was, was really set up nicely. Now, of course we know that, uh, the good doctor planted all this stuff and was trying to set the guy up, but, uh, it was never really revealed to us how he got the, the delivery driver, to the gala in the first place, right? Did we? Yeah. Ever, we never I, really well, learned. What was that. his reason for going there? Yeah, because he, I mean, why would he come right out of jail and go, you know, straight to the gala? You know, do not pass go, do not collect two hundred. Right, and I was really willing to accept a lot of what they presented here, uh, with the doctor trying to frame the delivery driver to get him back in the jail for a crime that he thought the guy committed, unless he committed it. Himself, the doctor killed his wife. A little fugitive action here, and you know he's trying to set the guy up. So at this point, I'm like, okay, he's totally setting the guy up. He killed his wife. He needs the guy to stay behind bars so that he doesn't go behind bars. That's what I thought was was really going. I said I predict Edwards really killed his wife and framed the delivery guy. Edward gets off on framing people. It doesn't give me motive for him killing his wife though. That was the other thing I didn't really have an idea on, but. When that necessarily didn't turn out to be completely true, I can't figure out how delivery guy showed up at the gala because he's risking everything at that point. I don't know why he would do that. If he's innocent, you don't show up like that because that's only going to get you back in jail and get you in trouble. They're not going to believe your story, right? Well, yeah, and I didn't think that Edwards would have that. And that's why when the car blew up, I figured out you know, just the guy, uh, the delivery man did that. And, and you had predicted that the that Edwards had done. It. I'm thinking, no, because how could Edwards have possibly known that the delivery guy was going to be there? So to set that up, you'd have to know that he's going to show up. You know, how could you be absolutely sure that was going to happen? And I didn't think that was even a possibility. So that's one of the little holes there. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, uh, a little difficult to get around. Well, we do see Edwards have the ability to get the delivery driver 
to various places, including the the garden there where they carved their initials. You know, so he is able to manipulate the guy. So I guess it's we can kind of make some assumptions on that, but it, and maybe he didn't know that Edwards was going to be there. It just doesn't make any sense to me why the delivery driver would risk being in the same spot as Edwards immediately after he got out of jail. But and, and maybe what they were doing with getting Morris, you know, the delivery guy to the botanical gardens with the, you know, at the at the bench and all that mm-hmm. was to show, yeah, like you said, yes, this guy does know how to manipulate people to get, go to a certain place. And maybe so we are assuming we can assume perhaps that he did that to get him to come uh, to the gala uh, without, because if they had shown that, then there wouldn't be that tension, that drama, you know, what's really happening here. We would have seen everything that, that did happen. We would have seen what was, uh, what brought uh, Morris to the gala. So it wouldn't have been quite as, uh, uh, you know, intriguing what's going on here really. So uh, I can kind of forgive that, uh, but still it did seem, it, did, it just it did seem like a whole. I, mean, I would have I would have liked to hear more say something about I was supposed to meet somebody here or something like that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, something. Yeah. yeah. So, but we didn't get that. We just he just walks in the room. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I liked this next segment back in 2010. Uh, Finch getting a phone call. Uh, there's no caller ID. There's nobody on the line. Um, he's been following Corwin around, and. And again, the payphone rings, mm-hmm. nothing there. And I, I was thinking, well, it's just the machine trying to give him a call or try to stop him, try to distract him and whatnot. But he comes out with the one line when he when he looks directly into the camera and he says, uh, I haven't given you a voice, so you have nothing to say. And I love that line because it really did. It, it really showed his defiance. He was not going to be pushed around by some machine. Yeah. You know, so it was, oh, man, it was fantastic. Uh, because up until uh, since we have seen Finch uh, in the show, starting with you know the events of uh, season one, mm-hmm. he has been uh, most of the time very compliant. Yeah, okay, here's here's the number. We need to go do that. Mm-hmm. When I get a phone call, I need to do what it says. If it tells me to stop, I got to stop. You know. Now there was that one place with the uh, one time with the senator that they were apparently supposed to kill and he that's when he he got defiant again mm-hmm. not quite right. as but uh but normally he's just yeah whatever and now here's one where i haven't given you a voice that oh man alive that that, that, that that's you can tell it's tearing him apart when he uh, has to when he has to do that really well it's so different from what we see with finch nowadays right because now he looks at the camera and has dialogue with the with the machine. You don't have dialogue with somebody who doesn't have a voice, at least not in this context. I mean, so it was like he hadn't really, at this point, had that mental, he didn't look at the machine as, as something worth interacting with in that way. Um, he, it's not that the machine didn't have a voice, he didn't acknowledge the voice. And the machine did have a voice. Uh, obviously, it's trying to communicate that to Harold, trying to communicate ethics to Harold, to try to steer Harold into making a, a decision based on the ethics that Harold implanted into the machine. So it was it was very interesting for sure, just to kind of see this uh, stage in the relationship, if you will, between Harold and this machine. Well, if you think about it, it just occurred to me, Finch, like you said, he gave this uh, gave this machine his own ethics. Mm-hmm. So essentially. These are this is the, the the devil and the angel on two shoulders of Finch, you know, arguing with each other. You know, he Finch right. is actually arguing with himself uh, when he's arguing with the machine. 
Uh, so that was, and, and he didn't give the angel a voice and the devil is, you know, saying, Hey, bomb the car, bomb the car, you know? So, uh, so again, the, the, the voice of the angel really at, at the end was the phone ringing over and over and over again. Yeah. The thing that comes to my mind is you're talking about that is, is yeah, these are Harold's ethics that he has put into the machine. And we know that Harold's ethics didn't change. But what changed is that he is – this didn't change. But what is was causing a seeming change is his emotion. This is us as humans. We are emotion. I do not believe in, in taking the law into your own hands. But if some sicko harms a member of my family, I can guarantee you, Doug, that I'm going to have some very serious thoughts about finding that sicko and taking the law into my own hands. And you would probably do the same yeah, because it's, of the it's emotion. One of those you don't want have. to get put into that position. That's yeah. right. Yeah, but that is the position that, that Finch found himself in. Mm-hmm. Well, the machine doesn't have emotion. He has code, you know, or she has code and logic and ethics that are, that are built into it. Maybe that's what we're supposed to take from this episode that, that's going to drive the, the, the future of the, the season a little bit. I don't know, but it's a very interesting thing, you know, regardless of that, of, of, uh, how the machine didn't waver in this situation because the machine didn't have emotion that was blinding it or guiding it or diluting it or however you want to phrase that. Mm-hmm. And after we come back to 2015, uh, as the as the team is all talking on their little common channel there, uh, and I forget who, I think it was Fusco who said, you don't put a bomb in a guy's car if you're mentally stable. He was saying, you know, Morris wouldn't, you know, that Morris is kind of a nut job. Yep. So you don't put it, and 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 Finch had to have heard that, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I I was after you know, I think that we were supposed to to see that we didn't see. A, I was waiting for some kind of a a response, a, you know, a facial uh, change or something like that, uh-huh. but we didn't get that. But yeah. I think the idea was being so close there. Yeah, I think that was we're supposed to make that connection that that Finch is like you know, that punch in the gut there for right, him. exactly, like, yeah. And, uh, and Chris Fisher. Now this is where he uh, tweeted something. Here we um, we were. I was following him, and he said Finch knows nothing good can come from revenge killing. But did he have to learn that the hard way? You know, stay tuned. So he uh, that it was kind of a, a, a lead into what was coming next. But we've already established that uh, Finch does not want this uh, this revenge to to be uh, carried out. And uh, because, like you said, it's a, it's it's a, taking the law into your own hands. And as we see near the end, eh, we're not so sure about the uh, innocence or guilt of uh, the fella anyway. So, yeah. So even if even if he did, I think, uh, and, and I think this is also uh, the 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 thing with Corwin also shows him that yeah, maybe I I was you know he was in the position where he wanted to kill somebody for what he had done to a friend of his, and it was sure. He knew who did it, and as we'll see a little later, I think he was convinced that she wasn't. So he's trying to give benefits of the doubt. Finch has been one for that, to give the benefit of the doubt as far as he can go until the such point, to such a point that, uh, no, it's very obvious that this is the perpetrator. That's mm-hmm. what's very obvious that it is. So we see a little, like I said, a great character development story for for Finch to get some more idea of what's going on in that guy's head. Right. And some, some nice argument between Fusco, Fusco, no Finch and Reese here as, and, and what's interesting too, is they've, they've both lost 
people that they care deeply about. You know, they both talked about those losses to different psychiatrists in this episode, but they're also taking different approaches to this case based on the losses and the lessons that they've learned from those losses, which I don't know. Were you, were you siding with one or the other in particular in this, in this argument? I was going with Finch. I thought it was a little out of character for, uh, for Reese and, and, and there were a couple of places too, where Fusco did that too, for them to say, eh, whatever. Now they have done that in the past. Uh, there was, and I can't remember, I, I know it was uh, season three, I think it was early in the season. At one point, Reese uh, leaves two people, one of I, I don't know if both the numbers came up or one of them did, but they were they had both wronged each other, and he just walked away from them and let them, and you hear a gunshot, but you don't see who right. shot whom, that sort of thing. Was that the so, one where he left him on the boat? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I think, yeah, so we've seen a little of that out of Reese. Not usually. Usually his, you know, uh, better angels get, uh, hold sway there. But this time it seemed a little, a little out of character mm-hmm. uh, that he would uh, say, yeah, whatever, let him go, you know, or let him, let him do what he wants to do, frame him and all that stuff. That's, that just seemed kind of, and Fusco, Fusco has, has grown so much as, uh, you know, from Dirty Cop in season one till now. Yeah. This seemed like uh, falling into old habits a little too easily that uh, th- those habits that he's taken three years to uh, get out of. Uh, that, that, that also gave me a little bit of uh, that also knocked down the rating a bit. Sure. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to, we don't want to have all this wonderful um, growth in the character to suddenly get, you know, pulled away out of, you know, the rug right out from under us here for, for one episode. And I, I, I really don't see Fusco being that way from that, this point on no. being, yeah, whatever, whatever. No, he's, um, uh, he's, he's come too far to all of a sudden have it go away. That doesn't make, that doesn't seem, doesn't seem right to me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, you know, we've get, um, and we get another line out of Finch, uh, that is related to back to all this again. We've had a lot of exposition again. That's another reason my number was down here. A lot <laughs> of talk, a lot of good lines, but sure. still a lot of it. Um, he said, vengeance doesn't bring closure. And, you know, some people might say, like in your example, somebody did something to our family. Uh, we would think it would before it happens. But, you know, afterwards, then, you know, when uh, when uh, the reason comes back and rather than the emotion, you know, it doesn't necessarily bring closure. And Reese seems to see to understand that that's where Finch has been. How would you know, you know? Tell me, Finch, where did that path lead you? Right. And but we, you know, Finch does not answer that question. These guys still have a lot of secrets from each other. Yeah, and that's when we get the the conclusion to the 2010 flashback, where we see the the climax there of, of uh, Finch tracking her down. She's in the car. He's got the bomb armed, and he's about ready to blow her up. He calls her, and he's giving her the what for, so she can know what's happening before she dies, and. Did you really feel bad for her at all? Were, were you? I mean, I did. I'm sitting there going, "She doesn't deserve this." She, you know, I just felt really, really bad. I knew, I, I knew that Finch didn't blow it up. I just, I just knew that he wouldn't do it. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get the vibe that he was learning this story about or this lesson about vengeance from having gone through with something. I think that I really felt like he was going to get up to the edge of the cliff and not go over, which is what happened. But so I didn't expect him to blow her up, but 
you know, I felt I still felt really bad for what he was doing to her in spite of not blowing her up. What about you? Well, did did Corwin not really know what was going on? I, I believe what she said in response yeah. to him was it sounded like it was true. And I'm, I don't know if it's something we've not seen or I just don't remember it. I don't remember it either. I, I kind of bought her story where she was like looking back on it. She should have known, but she at the time she didn't put the pieces together and. It may have been a, a whole a special counsel thing. All himself and um, um, who was his who was his uh, heavy guy? Um, we had him for so many seasons, and then uh, he's oh gone. yeah he died yeah not. what was his name? Oh um, man, anyway yeah. Um, so yeah, I I, I think uh, I think Corwin may have understood that this kind of thing could happen. I don't think she was involved with it, and so and that's why. I have a feeling that Morris was not the guy either in the uh, in the current day uh, murder mystery here. Uh, I think they were trying to draw that parallel, not just the parallel that uh, you come, you know, uh, that Finch made it so far and didn't cross that line. Uh, Edwards was clearly ready to cross that line, and uh, and Finch, you know, pulls him back with his uh, with his speech, but. Um, but I think that's what the 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 uh, I think they were trying to draw a parallel there, where Corwin wasn't directly involved in the death of Nathan, and neither was Morris directly involved in the death of Edward's wife. So that's my guess, but uh, who knows? So you think okay? So you think that he was not involved with killing his wife? So you think the delivery driver did it, or somebody else did it? No, I, well, I was saying I don't think Morris did. It. I don't think the delivery man did it. Oh, sorry, I got the names mixed up. So you, yeah, do you think I, Edwards that, did it? I, well, I don't. I don't think so. I think there is another story. Uh-huh. Uh, something else may have happened. And, I, you know, no, I don't think Edwards did it. And but I don't think Morris did either. And that's that's the I think the takeaway from that is that you can't just assume when you, t- you take the law in your own hands, you got to let the law, you know, do what the law does. It is imperfect. It is not the. Uh, uh, we we don't have perfection when it comes to deciding whether somebody's lying or not and that sort of thing. So I think that there is a it, it wasn't Edwards, it wasn't Morris, there was a third person, is my guess. And uh, but just that whole question, that unresolved question, is not something that that Edwards can uh, can move on, can can take any sort of revenge on. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that's, I think that's the lesson we're trying to get out, get, get across here. Yeah. It's surprisingly, I don't know why, but surprisingly you and I are on the same page here. I was so sure after, before the car blew up, like when the dude showed up is when I made the note, here's what happened. You know, I played monk and said, here's what happened. And up until this point in the, in the episode, I'm thinking, yeah, this is exactly what happened. Edwards killed his own wife. Uh, gets off on framing people for things, so he framed this other guy for it, and that's what he does. Um, but at the end of the day, after they have their little conversation where Morris says, here's what happened, here's what I saw, and Edward says, here's what, you know, we already knew his point of view. I really think that that it was a, a bad coincidence, if you will. Morris showed up, delivered the package. She was not dead. Later, when Edward shows up and, and finds the package in the pool of blood, it's just coincidence. He didn't kill the wife. Morris didn't kill the wife. It was some unknown person. That's kind of the way I'm, I'm landing on it now, too. Does it bother you at the end of the day that we, that we didn't get it resolved? 
No, I think they gave us uh, uh, the notion that this was not going to be resolved because I think at one point they say there are, there are at the end of the day there are some questions that just are never going to be answered. Right. They um, did say I'm, that. I'm hoping two things. Number one, that you know that that this particular situation doesn't um, doesn't resolve. I, I, I like the idea that we don't know, and that's that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know. We have imperfect knowledge, so you can't necessarily act on what you think is true. That's number one. Number two, some questions may never be answered. I'm hoping that's not a line that the writers threw in saying, you've got a lot of questions about this. We're not going to answer them all. At the end of the season. <laughs> I'm hoping that's, that's not right. the case. This is a bad robot show after all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I don't think it'll be as bad as Lost. Not even close. But So in terms of not answering questions. Okay, uh, I don't. Do you think we'll see him again? No, I, I, I don't. I don't think. Um, I think his. Um, now they do. I mean, at the end, you kind of get the impression that maybe. Well, well, first of all, at the end, we have him back in his office, and there's some feedback that we'll catch a little later with some additional things. So he mm-hmm. back in his office as if nothing happened. I can't imagine having that all happen. That there's no ramifications. Well, we know I can agree. that we know that he's done. He's framed people before, right? That that seemed a bit odd to me. What also seemed odd that he was still willing to put that gun to his own chest and, and apparently pull the trigger. I mean, they 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 stopped him, and he was just going to say to Finch, a man that he barely knows, "Hey, man, after I pull the trigger on myself, be sure and cover for me, okay?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess he's thinking I'm dead. It doesn't matter, but still, it just seemed a little bit what? So yeah, there were a couple of those at the end. Uh, I don't think we'll see him again either. I don't think I think we're done with this story. They did yeah. throw out the line: "If he does kill, we'll be there." And that is what they do. That is when the machine shows up. So and the machine did actually go through Morris's old files, but just before we see what's in it, we fade to black. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. It sure did. Yeah, I don't think we'll see it again. No, I think we're done. I, I, I but so, so, like I said, it was a, it was a lot of, um, a lot of talking, and not, I, it, and a, and a show doesn't have to have a lot of action to be mm. a good show. But this particular one, I think, didn't really advance us very far. Uh, we got some good insight on Finch, but that was about it. Yeah, did we get any kneecaps blown out in this episode? I don't think so. I don't think so either. We didn't get any root in this episode. Or yeah, no, nothing. No Shaw, but that's, you know, that was to be, be expected, expected, but yeah. no Root. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a little much. Yeah. All right. So, good episode. Not great. Um, you know, Matt Fallor, I went over and read his blog over at io9 today, and I haven't read his blog in several weeks. And I, I was as I was reading it, I was purposefully like, don't scroll too far, because he puts his, his rating at the very bottom, which I'm oh, glad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Uh, let me pull it up real quick, because... I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, yeah, we're, we're kind of on the same page here. And uh, let me just pull it up. He ended up giving it a a much higher score than uh, than I thought. I said I owe nine. I always do this. It's IGN that does it. Oh, yes. yes IGN, yes. Matt Fowler. He does one every week, doesn't he? He does a little review of the whole. Yeah, and I, I typically, I always like it. I, I And I typically agree with, with most of them, including this week. I I agreed with most of uh, everything that he was saying. Um, here it is. So I get to the bottom, and his rating is an 8.2, 
which he classifies as a great episode. So to me, it wasn't that it was not great. It was, it was a good hour of television. I'm not, I don't regret spending my hour of television or my hour watching this, this particular episode, but it was not yeah. one of the better episodes by a long shot. Definitely not a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree with you. Yep. We, I mean, like I said, we've got a lot of listeners that really loved it and that's great. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but, but us, yeah, yeah. not so much. Yep. That's right. That's fine. All right. All right. Well, do you have some surveillance in the news for us this week? Well, first of all, I have so much surveillance in the news that has been uh, sent to me by you listeners out there. It's it's fantastic. I started out when we started up the season. I'm, you know, grabbing a few uh, news articles and, and saving them in a document just in case you need to go back to them. And so I was pulling some things out of there. But there came a point where all of a sudden people are, are sending it to us. Barb has. Uh, and we this week it's We the North. And, uh, it was, it's just, it's great. I have got so much stuff to, uh, to pull from now. So thank you very much, everybody. Uh, from we, the North this week, uh, a website, uh, or online magazine called the intercept. The headline is thousands join legal fight against UK surveillance. And you can too. With the caveat being that if you live in the UK, I was actually wondering that. Okay. I'm glad you clarified. (laughs) On Monday, London-based human rights group Privacy International launched an initiative enabling anyone across the world. Now, it says across the world, but this is uh, they're talking about a specific agency in the in the UK to challenge covert spying operations involving government communications headquarters or GCHQ, the National Security Agency's British counterpart. Now. You may have remember may remember GCHQ. We've talked about them before. They were the ones that put out this Android app to introduce cryptography to kids on you know a little tablet thing, very yeah. Samaritan like. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, this campaign was made possible following a historic court ruling earlier this month that deemed intelligence sharing between GCHQ and the NSA to have been unlawful because of the extreme secrecy surrounding it. Consequently, members of the public now have a rare opportunity to take part in a lawsuit against the spying in the Investigative Powers Tribunal, a special British court that handles complaints about surveillance operations conducted by law enforcement and intelligence agencies. By Tuesday evening, more than 10,000 people had already signed up to the campaign. So yeah, it's um it's a it's a thing. And I also have a I'll have links to both of these in the show notes. Uh this is also happening in the U- in the US as well. The Wikimedia Foundation. I don't know if that's related to WikiLeaks or all these other wiki things, but anyway, the Wikimedia Foundation is suing the NSA over surveillance. So, yeah, this is kind of the you know, not the empire strikes back, the little guy strikes back. I'm loving that, you know. Yeah. So uh, it's good to hear, you know, so it's not all uh, we're not completely helpless in this situation. We have uh, people standing up for us and we can in- get involved as well. So there you go. I'll put these. I said these links will be in the show notes. It's wonderful. Very interesting. I like that. The little guy is rising up. Absolutely. Make your voice heard. Don't uh, don't just roll over and uh, play dead. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's roll into some listener feedback. We've got some great feedback this week from our awesome listeners. Not only do they send in you great stuff for uh, surveillance in the news, they send us great feedback. So let's start out with uh, some voice feedback that we got from Benson. Here's Benson. Hey there, this is Benson here in Arizona calling the Person of Interest podcast. 
Uh, so I really enjoyed this episode, Karma. Uh, it seemed like a very classic episode. It seemed like I was trying to go back to their roots a little more, steer a little away from the Samaritan line, try to be a little more episodic, which it's a nice refresher. I enjoy Samaritan when they have the machine. Uh, the plot was very engaging in this one. I really followed it very well. Uh, a few things I noticed. One, Amy Acker was in the opening credits, but Rude never appeared, unless she was, like, in the background and I didn't see her, but I don't think she was there at all, which, you know, a little disappointed by that, but I'm sure she's doing good things, and the plot seemed to run itself pretty well without her. I noticed that a lot of references to the past, which I really enjoyed. Most notably, of course, was Nathan, Nathan's death, and the follow-up to that, but I also noticed references that toward the end, Reese was talking about wife, Jessica, that she has not been mentioned really at all, I think, since season one, and it's really good to at least hear about her. I don't think they said her name, but the fans know that that's who it is. And I thought it was really odd, because she pretty much only talks about Sean Carter, and we don't hear very much about Jessica, so it's really good to hear some more about her again and bring back her as sort of a plot point, since she's really driving forth in his starting into all this originally. Uh, one theme that I noticed throughout it was how Edwards was trying to get retribution in a way on these people who he felt had done bad things, trying to be this vigilante guy that they're talking about. I noticed there's a big contrast there that Team Machine does not do retribution. They don't learn about a crime, at least most of the time. They don't learn about a crime. It happens, and then they get retribution of the person. They go out there to stop it. They make sure that no crime occurs. They're not trying to make a status quo come back. They're trying to keep peace. And I think that's a big distinction between them and the way that other people would look at trying to be the good guys, quote-unquote. Uh, there's a ton of great twists. I couldn't really anticipate what was going on. That was, that was really great. It was very well written. Um, another thing that I noticed about the episode was how Edwards, another thing that sort of set him apart, was how he was constantly planning. This whole episode, you could see that he had planned things for years in advance. I didn't entirely understand why he still had his wife's clothes. I don't think that was why he had to separate himself from things like that after all these years. That part wasn't really explained, I just realized. Uh, but he had planned out all these things to to do on different people. And I thought it was very interesting because usually in the show when you learn about a complex plan, it means that it's a machine doing it. That's one of these supercomputers, Samaritan, the machine, something like that. But this really showed that, you know, a complex plan doesn't have to come from a machine. That can just be a normal, everyday person. But I thought it was really great because that's something that really contrasts to what they've been doing recently with these different plot arcs. Uh, those are some things I saw and look forward to hearing whatever you guys have contribute. Talk to you later, Daryl and Doug. Well, thank you very much, Benson. You know, um, I think, first of all, uh, with Root being in the credits but not in the story, I think if a character is in, and it, this may be a Screen Actors Guild thing or some sort of uh, contract situation, but if they are in so many episodes in the season, they get to be in the in the opening credits, even if it's just a name across the bottom. If you don't actually see the actors, there are some, well, we were talking about lost. You don't see 
the uh, people, but you see the the names at the bottom of the screen. Well, in this case, it got a cool intro, and I and since Root is going to be in the uh, requisite number of uh, episodes, uh, she gets to stay in the in the credits. There you are. Yeah, I think you're right on that, and I think that's also why we've seen Sarah Shahi mentioned in some of the um, press releases about some of the episodes, even though she, as listed as a character, but not necessarily we've seen her on screen. Is Shaw still in the, she's in the credits still, right? I would presume so. Both, of, both so. Sarah and um, Amy got Amy. moved to series regulars uh, at the beginning of last season. So I, I would imagine so. All right. Um, I liked your observation of, of Team Machine versus Edwards, uh, their approach to things that they, the Team Machine does not do retribution. They just try to stop things before they happen or save people from, you know, their own mm-hmm. uh, mistakes versus Edwards, who can create quite, I mean, yes, it was very impressive how complex his uh, his plans were in order to frame these people. He had it, you know, uh, down to the, the, the smallest detail. Uh, yeah, no, that was, it's a great observation to, to, yeah, to contrast these two there. Yeah. And also, he, you mentioned he still had his wife's clothes. My, and I would have liked to see a little more of this at the end, I think the idea there was he hadn't moved on. He was still planning on whenever this guy was getting out. He'd been planning all this time. And so you know, to, to, to frame uh, Morris, so he hadn't really in his own mind moved on. And that was the external representation of it. What I would have liked to see is perhaps another shot of him in his apartment with him put away, that, that sort of thing that he had moved on. Um, but I think that's, I think that was the point there to show that he was still, it was still stewing in him. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And the, the counterpoint that you make are the, are the, the, yeah, the, the not necessarily counter as, a, as a, against, but the, the additional point. Um, and I think it also kind of showed me that he wasn't the killer after I kind of stewed on that a little bit. I thought, you know, if he did kill his wife and set up this delivery driver, I don't know why he would have kept his wife's clothing around you. You're trying to hold on to that person you lost, and you don't do that if you kill them unless there's some weird thing there. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, alrighty, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's true. Yeah, to, as far as whether he killed her or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's get to the next audio. This one comes in from Barb. Hi, Daryl and Doug. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's POI Epi Karma. I'll give this Epi eight desperately ringing payphones. This was an old-fashioned number of the week segment with a very sad look at how Harold and John have been impacted by the losses and events in their lives. I did find it hard to believe that our upstanding Harold was ever driven by revenge, but this only served to humanize him and make him feel like an ordinary person. It was interesting to watch the machine work so hard to divert him from his plan to kill Alicia, considering that our machine would eventually direct the team to kill a U.S. senator, and to watch Harold pull back and refuse to do it at that time. I also thought it was interesting that the machine's interest about the number of the week was piqued. Who was the real killer? I think this mirrors life. We don't always get answers to all our questions. I thought that it was a nice way to leave the viewers dangling at the end of the epi. Reese was reminded of the loss of his girlfriend, and I first thought he was going to talk about Carter, and how revenge wouldn't have changed anything. I also thought it was interesting that there was no apparent attraction between John and his psychiatrist this week, and we have seen hints of that previously. They did attend the fundraising dinner together, so maybe she's still in the picture, but no sparks were burning. This concerns me that she may indeed be a Samaritan plant, as one of our keen listeners suggested a few weeks ago. I hope not. I guess we'll need to wait until the next sweeps month of May to see Elias and Dominic and the next steps in their war. 
I know Daryl missed Ruth this week. And congrats to Sarah Sashi, who had her twins last week. May she be ready to come back for Season 5. That's it for this week. This is Barb signing out and considering disabling the locks on my car doors. <laughs> Make them manual. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I liked, yeah, I liked your point about humanizing Harold. It did really, um, like I said, this is a, this is a, a, really a Harold episode. Yeah. And, and the idea, yeah, yeah, you mentioned the same thing that uh, I mentioned. Now, I didn't hear this one before you played it. Just so you know, yeah, we, we <laughs> both referred back to the senator, how, how the machine actually did at one point um, want him to do that. But, uh, but the ethics have uh, already kicked in, yeah. So that's great, yeah. yeah. And, and and Iris and Reese not uh, you know not making eyes at each other anymore. I think at this point, she was. Try- My guess is she was trying to make that that little last scene at the end where he talks about uh, Jessica. Uh-huh. He was trying to, or she was trying to make it all business because she was really trying to open him up and you know that sort of thing. And I think now the Samaritan plan thing is still that's still uh, a, a definite possibility. Okay, okay, that's still on the table. I think. Yeah, but I think it's plausible. But as far as the romantic, romantic relationship between those two, I think at that last scene, she was just trying, and she's been trying to do that for a while, but she was really trying to at this point. Do you think that she doesn't really, that you think she has a, a, a boundary that she's not willing to cross with him unless he is... Not a patient anymore? Well, not that, but you know, I she has the ability to assess him, his health, in, in either his mental health or his emotional health in a, in a way that is probably pretty important to her. So do you think that she's not willing to really cross a line with him unless she feels that he's healthy to a certain degree and, and he hasn't really proven himself to be that? Yeah, that, that, that could very well be. It could be that, yeah, she's not uh, wanting to close him back up, that sort of thing. She's she's trying to trying to bring this out, but he is less likely to uh, let's say talk about his previous lover with his current, you mm-hmm. know. So that might that that might uh, make it uh, rather awkward. Yeah, that's true. Now, did you think he was talking about Jocelyn or Jessica when she when he first started talking about a, a lost love? I, I I thought about Jessica. I didn't think that the Carter uh, situation was that really came out of the out of left field. It really did. Although I wasn't sure until he spelled it out. After he went with the Jessica instead of Jocelyn, I was like, that really makes more sense. There was more, even though we didn't see much of that, he would have been much more connected with her than than Carter because there was just the the move right as she died in the same episode. So it made more sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that was kind of that. That would have not. That would have seemed a little fake to me. I don't know. Yeah. That would have been. That could have been him trying to shield his real feelings to by talking about something that was you know, very uh, more recent and short-lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we have some written feedback here. Uh, this first one comes in from, is it Vivek or Vivek? What do you think? I'm, I'm guessing Vivek. That's my guess too. So there you go. It's unanimous. Uh, Vivek says, hi guys. Good work with the podcast. You guys don't mind giving constructive criticism about POI, and I like it. Well, we certainly did our fair share of that this week. (laughs) Vivek says, episode 417, Karma, could have been a classic like number one, uh, season one, episode 21, Many Happy Returns, but it failed. It sure had some great moments like Finch flashbacks and Reese therapy sessions. Why these scenes worked? Because they were quiet and emotionally intense. 
This intensity wasn't replicated in the case of the week. They used way too much exposition and dialogue. Did you read this? <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, when he mentioned he Vivek uh, meant, posted something in the Facebook page, uh-huh. uh, you know, on your uh, on your post about okay, here can in the comments say what you thought about karma uh-huh. and what he said about it, it was like, I, and I posted right after this, man, you've read my notes. <laughs> That's right, I do, I do remember seeing that now. Well, Vivek goes on to say the entire scene where Edwards was setting up that club manager for armed robbery was unnecessary. Reese supporting Edwards, I understand, but Fusco accepting vigilante justice is completely off-putting with his greatest scene in 310, which was the devil's share. Yeah, that's that. That's absolutely true. And we, we talked about it, how it seemed a little bit of a step back for him. Uh, and Vivek goes on to say Edwards being left free is too neat. Oh, he says, why didn't Morris file a complaint for setting him up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I would have liked it if Edwards sets up Morris, but doesn't confront him in the botanical garden. In the backdrop, Reese removes all the evidence Edward planted on Morris. Edwards sits on that bench where he first met his wife and contemplates of uh, committing suicide. Finch comes and tries to stop him. Edwards listens to Finch's speech, but doesn't care. He shoots himself just as Reese enters. This could have been a great ending, but CBS wouldn't have allowed it. And the lesson which Finch wanted to say to Reese, revenge is not the right path, is true, but what if moving on is too much without knowing the truth and suicide is a viable option? Because Finch and Reese are basically on a long, drawn-out suicide mission. They are going to die, that's for sure, and it creates another angle to look at their present situation from. Hmm. Hmm. So do you think Finch and Reese are on a a suicide mission, an ultimate suicide mission? I I think we've touched on this a little bit. How does this all end? How does the series end? And, yeah, that's that's a... A pretty a viable option as far as not just I can't take it anymore. I'm going to kill myself. I I, I don't like that uh, as as an option. But but sacrificing themselves, uh, the suicide in that in that sense of the word, sacrificing themselves for you know uh, whatever it is that they 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 think is uh, going to keep the world safe or that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, so I can see that, and this may be you know helping to set that uh, set that up. Uh, get that in the in the viewer's mind. Yeah, yeah. Or a suicide mission in in the context that they don't no have win. Anything. Yeah, it's a no win. Uh, they're they're willing to lay down their lives for what they believe in. Um, they've got nothing to lose, and they're willing to do that. I don't know though. I don't. I think at the end of the day, they they both walk away. I don't know where I've said what I've said in the past, how I feel, but today you're asking me and I'm saying they're both walking away. <laughs> that well, could change you know, again. You know, it's one of the things where, you know, they're, they're, they're the two main characters. I yeah, mean, yeah. if they die at the end, uh, you know, well, I mean, and it's happened before. I mean, let's, let's talk about Jack Shepard and uh, Lost, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. All right. Doc H has something to say just a little bit said, I have to say that this episode was probably in the bottom three episodes since the series started. Ouch. Yes. 
Not that it was poorly acted, but that it was poorly written. It barely met season one standards for the show and had no business airing this far along in the saga. It's as if the Benchwarmers got the right to show. And not the Varsity Benchwarmers, but the Pop Warner Pee Wee League Benchwarmers. Everything was so shallow and one-dimensional. Reese and the police... Uh, the police shrink have really started to get some chemistry going recently, but that just seemed to have evaporated this episode and has seriously regressed. Fusco was reduced to his prior HR thug self with his little rant about how killers are killers, and they should just let the POI go after the seemingly guilty guy that was being framed. Plus, it seemed that Fusco is now fully up to speed on the machine. Yet we never saw the transition and have been robbed of viewing his revelation. Uh, I want to say, Doc, I don't think that... He knows about the machine as the machine. He just knows these guys know stuff. Yeah. Um, but you, you got to this. Yeah, we've been seeing a little more and a little more this uh, season. I think by the end of the season, I think Fusco gets a yellow box around his face. Okay, where were we? Finch was the worst. Oh, my goodness. Reduced to a maniacal assassin in a wheelchair, struggling with a case of vengeance against Nathan's Northern Lights murderer. His character was much more evolved than that even when we first met him at the start of the series, just months after the 2010 wheelchair flashback we saw here. The continuity and believability was awful, too. Fusco and Reese interview the POI at the precinct, and then Reese follows the guy all around town on several trips, just 50 feet behind him, on uncrowded streets. Really? How does the POI not see Reese? Even a guy with a white cane and an escort dog would smell Reese that close by. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Then there is Finch, hiding in plain sight just a 100 feet from the car he's rigged to explode. First, I'm guessing a chair-bound cripple would have a problem accessing a subcompact vehicle to plant a bomb. He's got a point there. That's a great point. Second, how does she, a trained operative, not look around and see Finch with a remote detonator with a big silver antenna so close? Third, why is Finch in the open when exploding cars tend to fling shrapnel in all directions? Okay, this is staging, I think, Doc. <laughs> That's, all I think That's all I can say. Yeah. And lastly, ooh, those tricky, tricky door locks. She's inside the car. Hello? Open the door. <laughs> okay, well, you know. <clears throat> Drama. Uh, or call Blonde a star. <laughs> We're not using uh, the actual, you know... Uh, company names here hello this is blonde star how may i help you yeah this is sue in brooklyn and i'm trapped in my car someone's using a remote control device and locked me in <laughs> i guess the one saving grace to this steaming pile of an episode <laughs> is that they didn't drag any side and they didn't drag any of the good recent stuff through this stink thankfully they let samaritan root shaw greer elias dominic and company sidestep this plebeian writing quagmire wow Plebeian writing quagmire. I got to remember that line. That's pretty good. I, I mean, it's harsh, but I mean the the, the word usage is, cool. is quite quite good. If writing like this had aired in the first season, there might not have been a second season. What intimidates me is that we may have to suffer this same POI again. Hopefully, they will get the A team to pen his next recur. Wow. You know, Doc is subtle with his with his writings. You kind of have to look through it, but if, if you look pretty closely, read between the lines. I think he liked the episode. <laughs> well, if you don't get all your answers answered here, you know they we're not sure exactly. Yeah, but I I, I, I like his little bit of you know, leaving us hanging here. Mm -hmm. Don't mince words. <laughs> well, all right, thank you, Doc, for that. It's so interesting, though, isn't it? We get we get 
stuff like that. And Doc's in that he's in the chat room. He said he didn't give it a rating because he didn't have one that was low enough. And then we have <laughs> Zachary who's giving it a ten. And that's one of the things that this this show is so good. There's there's enough in there to uh, to find for everybody. You might not like it every week, but you can usually find something. And uh, that is quite interesting to put those something two. to please everyone. Yeah, yeah. as a comparison. Well, all right. Well, let's look at Andrew. He says, "Hi, Daryl and Doug. Hi, <laughs> hi." I was going to say, uh, how, how did it go in AOL? Um, <laughs> Uh, welcome. Welcome. That's it. Yeah. Welcome. Um, greetings from Toronto, Canada. One note from Blunt I neglected to mention is that they mentioned Finch's tea came from Sri Lanka. My parents came from Sri Lanka before immigrating to Toronto. I also spent a few months there on vacation last summer and thoroughly enjoyed it. Very cool. That is very cool. He says, I'm giving this episode 7.89 returns to the library. I thought this episode was great as it showed how Finch struggled with his life post Nathan Ingram's death and how he was willing to kill Alicia Corwin for her alleged involvement in Ingram's death, which might have made her go paranoid and go off the grid in season one. Mm -hmm. However, I felt that some of the mystery elements in this episode didn't play well as it became clear to the viewer that Edwards was up to no good early on as it related to Morris, which created a few frustrating segments involving our heroes needing to play catch-up. But the toned-down, somber retribution angle played well. More interesting even than what Edwards was ultimately up to was the rift that formed in the group, with Finch becoming the voice of reason while Reese and Fusco wanted to let Edwards take care of Morris in whatever way he had planned. With Fusco coming from an old-school dirty cop mindset and Reese falling victim to his own grief over losing Jessica. Even if we didn't find out the absolute truth, the overall vibe was that Morris was innocent, which created a disturbing undercurrent for everything. I felt there were a few hiccups at the end. Edwards would still try to kill himself and rely on Finch to support his story. Morris wouldn't seek any kind of justice for almost being framed for murder especially if the guy doing it had also sent him to prison for a crime he didn't commit. Mm -hmm. That made it hard to believe that Edwards would be able to easily return to his old life unscathed. But the entire dynamic got Reese to open up a little bit more in his sessions with Iris, even if it was to admit that he didn't know how to cope with his feelings. Hope to hear more on your thoughts on the podcast. And that's from... Wet Hen Orth, also known as Andrew J. He says, P.S. How about opening up the chat room during the airing of new episodes of POI for all to chat live uh, like you guys are doing for season two of Broadchurch? Would anybody be interested? That's a great question. And the, here's a dirty little secret. The chat room's open anytime. Mm -hmm. So I may not always be there. Doug may not always be there. But if you guys want to come and chat while the uh, person of interest is airing on Tuesday nights, feel free. And that's over at uh, goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. So that's a, that's a good idea. We are doing that for broad church uh, season two. We're not doing a podcast on broad church, but we, we have had a chat happening over there. And there's usually a group in there uh, on Monday nights. Now that the following is back, I guess they're back. They've been there the last two seasons chatting, even though we've never done a podcast on the following. So yeah, the chat room's always there. Uh, just keep it 
be nice, you know, and uh, keep it clean. I will say I probably if I do join that, I probably won't uh, be saying much because I'm going to be busy taking notes like like crazy. You know, that's right. Be flying. It's hard to take notes and chat and watch. All righty. Great feedback. All right. We got one from I am Groot. And here's what he says. Greetings from hot Melbourne, where it's currently 22 degrees. That's free. Oh, Celsius. Sorry. <clears throat> 22 degrees Celsius, 72 degrees Fahrenheit for you Americans. Thank that's, you very much. A, that's about what it was here today. We had beautiful weather this week. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, Atlanta's finally uh, catching up to the fact that it's, you know, almost spring, too. Mm-hmm. I will say, last Wednesday, I was out in my back deck. The following Friday, it was snowing in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. The following Monday, it was in the mid-60s. I mean, I, it, never mind daylight savings time. I, it's like I lived two full years in just that weekend <laughs> anyway. He says, I'm giving this episode 10 frame jobs. We've had Doc H at one, and now we have uh, I Am Groot here. I thought this episode was perfect, although I did miss the Samaritan storyline that has been going on this season. On a serious note, has the rest of this been frivolous? I don't know. Anyway, On a serious note, I have noticed a group a friend of mine has told me about on Facebook called POI Shark Watch. They claim, quote, a place for irrelevance who are tired of playing nice. If you're seeing fins in the water around a person of interest and you're ready to go full badass on the next irrelevant cheerleader you see, this is the place to discuss your worries. Do you love person of interest, but are you afraid it has or is about to jump the shark? Do you think relevance was the worst episode ever? Did, what in the world? <laughs> Did you wait for two seasons to see how Nathan died only to be bitterly disappointed by the plot holes? Do you think that adding Root and Shaw as regular characters is a recipe for disaster? Will you never watch a rerun of God Mode because it was so God-awful? Are you sick to death of being told to be patient, not to jump to conclusions or trust the Nolan? That if you can't say something nice, you shouldn't say anything at all? Come sit right here with us and speak your mind. If you love the show but hate the direction it's going... This is the place to be. Join us and watch the feeding frenzy. Wow, that's that's rough. That is rough. <laughs> oh man, alive! If you if you hate a show that much, why do you why do you spend <laughs> energy watching it and then complaining about it? There are yeah. life is too short for that. Oh man, uh, Groot says they keep on claiming Amy Acker and Sarah Shahi's characters are ruining the show, and that Taraji P Henson was fired from the show for racial reasons. Oh, see now I'm now we're getting off into conspiracy theories mm-hmm. here nut jobs so to speak nutballs um they also claim that anyone who says anything good about the show are blindly loyal cheerleaders okay they also claim that the show's cancellation is imminent due to the declining ratings due to fans leaving after the death of carter and are rejoicing that jim caviezel and michael emerson will finally be free of a dead show and move on to better projects hmm. Okay, well, that tells me all I need to know about them. And so, you know, like you said, if you don't like the show, don't watch it. If you don't like the group, don't join it. Thank you. Uh, In your and the people's in the chat room's opinion, how do we as machinists respond to these people and how do we get them to see our point of view? Hope to hear from you guys. I am Groot. P.S. I hope you're enjoying the weather in your cities. I know I am. We are. I... I, Let them let them just have their little fun in their own little Facebook group, and 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 you you don't need that kind of negativity. Now here on this podcast, we are not just blind cheerleaders. We have people all over the spectrum. You know, we're not all haters. We're not all cheerleaders. We are a little bit of everything. 
They might have liked this episode because it didn't have any Sarah Shahi or Amy Acker, and it was very much like a season one episode. Yes, Um, I wonder what they would, but this group would have thought of that. Yeah, yeah. but they can't say anything good about it because then you're a cheerleader. Well, you know, honestly, Doug, I can see where someone who liked the show or loved the show in season one could look at what the show is today and go, what? This is not the show I signed up for because it was not a sci-fi show in season one at least not overtly, and it is now. And there are some people who, who didn't sign up for that. They didn't start watching the show because of that. They didn't fall in love with the show because of that. So I, I can completely, from that perspective at least, see where somebody would not enjoy where, where uh, POI is today. But I'll go back and say, like I said, if you don't like a, a show, any show, for where it, uh, you know, what it has become... I don't. I don't see any value in spending my time uh, criticizing the show, watching the show, bashing the show with other people. Move on, do something positive with your life. What do you say to people like that? I don't. Hmm. I don't see any. I don't see any uh, merit in that either. I don't. I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And I will, I may say, I can say this because I know my wife does not listen to this podcast, uh, that she, she liked it early on and doesn't like what's going on. She doesn't like the, the, the overarching story thing. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know, so all kinds of people, you know, and if you, if you did, like you said, if you did like the episodic nature, it's not quite as episodic. This, uh, being a, uh, kind of a return to that, this particular episode. But yeah, I, I can understand that at the same time, you know, if, if, you can't say anything nice. If, if if saying anything nice, it just makes you a you know fanboy cheerleader. Well, you know there's there there is some good you know to come out of this. Uh, like I said, even with this, um, even though I gave it a six, there's still uh, some good um, some good lessons, some good um, character development. So yeah, I, I yeah don't talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, some great feedback from uh, the uh, listeners out there. We would love to hear from you for the next episode. I almost said next week. We'll get to that in just a moment. There is no episode mm-hmm. next week. But there are several ways where you can uh, contribute to the show. You can join us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM. So we have lots of great conversation happening all throughout the week um, and the night it's airing and after it airs and all that stuff. So come join us over there. You can follow us on Twitter, which is POI Podcast GSM. And the main Golden Spiral Media Twitter account is GSM Podcasts. We'd love to have you follow us there as well. We can uh, share your feedback that you write in by sending that over to, uh, well, you can Submit it via goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Or if you want to get some audio feedback in, you can uh, attach an audio file at that same web address or give us a call at 304-837-2278. That is what Benson did. He uh, called the Golden Spiral Media Voice feedback line, left a message, and what do you know? We played it. Make make your mark on the world. That's right. Hey, one other thing, Doug, we, we probably should have mentioned this in the news, but we I, I didn't put it in the notes and I didn't think about it until we were already moved on. But Golden Spiral Media is up for three podcast awards. All right. It's pretty awesome. And so we want to 
just thank the the audience for nominating us and and getting us into the voting round. You can vote every single day between well now it's already open until March the twenty fourth. So go over to podcastawards.com. You can cast a vote once every twenty four hours. Uh, they will send you an email right after you vote so you can verify your vote. Real simple. Just click on a verification link that you get in the email. So here are the three that we're asking you to vote for. The Blacklist Exposed in the Entertainment category. Arrow Squad in the Best Produced category. And Stuff I Learned Yesterday in the General category. And if you do like The Blacklist Exposed, our friend... Aaron, who's one of the co-hosts of that, he has his own personal podcast, not part of Golden Spiral Media. It's called The Hollywood Outsider, and it's in the movie and film category, and we encourage you to vote for that sucker as well. Cool. Yeah. All right. Get some get some votes going there. Get yeah. the drum up the drum up the masses. That's right. Podcastawards.com. And thank you to everyone who is doing that. Yes, do appreciate it very much. All righty. This is the time we get into a little bit of spoilers. Usually it's just a little bit of what's going on next week. A quick uh, look at the at the uh, the, the, the re- press release on it. But this week we're adding a little something. We talked about uh, Sarah Shahi's birth. She gave birth to twins. But uh, here's a uh, the, the headline on this particular uh, announcement. This news article about it was person of interest. Sarah Shahi gives birth to twins, but she's still not returning to CBS. Shahi found out that she was expecting twins with her husband, Steve Howey, last fall when she reached the six-month mark and could no longer safely continue acting. Shahi's character, Samin Shah, was written off person of interest, at least for the time being. Neither the audience nor POI's characters know where Shaw was whisked off to by Samaritan's people and expect that trail to stay cold for a while. Upon learning she was going to have two babies to care for, Shahi decided to take two years off to spend time with her newborn twins and five-year-old son, though she concedes that there's a chance she'll return before then. Wow. Wow. So for those thinking that Shahi will be returning to the show now that her twins have been born, don't get your hopes up. Shah is still alive, but Shahi has no plans to return to the show anytime soon. It may be two full seasons before Shahi comes back, but keeping Shah alive allows for her to show up on person of interest whenever she's ready. Oh, man. Yeah, when I read that, my heart sank. I, I went in, we were, it was just about lunchtime, and I told my wife, and I'm like, what is her deal? Come on. Staying <laughs> home with those kids? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really just trying to incite a reaction out of my wife. Did it work? Not the way that I expected. <laughs> Carrie says, so let me get this straight. She's going to go back to work right about the time the kids are actually old enough to start remembering her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that's interesting. Uh, then we shared a good laugh. So, yeah. <laughs> good, honestly, good for her for staying home with the kids. Yes. We absolutely. will absolutely miss her and hopefully we'll find her uh, gracing our television screens sooner rather than later. But uh, congratulations again to her and family first, entertainment and, uh, later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay, moving along. We have some information about the next episode. Now, we had originally seen there had been. Uh, on websites, a couple of websites we take a look at as far as schedules go, it said that the next episode was next Tuesday, but it's not. It is March 24th, so we have one week off, and the episode title is Skip. Reese must protect a bounty hunter 
who refuses to let the potential threat to her life deter her from the relentless pursuit of her target. Meanwhile, Finch tries to set the plan he began in Hong Kong in motion on Person of Interest. Mm, all right. I hadn't read that. So we're getting so back to got, Hong Kong. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. On the regular cast list, now, after we've read this thing about, you know, Sarah Shahi and her twins, and the regular cast list for next week, Sarah Shahi is on the list. We get Shaw and we have Root next week. Yeah, but again, so, like I said, it may just be because they're build cast and so they're going to get that credit. Well, I, I don't, I'd have to go back. I'd have to go back and look and see if she was credited for, uh, for this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be interesting. But also we'll have um, Jessica Hecht as Beth Bridges. She's from the Hong Kong trip. You know, he, uh, Finch had bugged her laptop, if you uh, do recall, earlier this season. And... Uh, Harper Rose, the character Harper Rose is coming back. She's the grifter from last week's episode, Blunt. So she's coming right back very quickly. I'm surprised. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's very interesting that uh, they brought her back so quickly. I'm not going to try to um, say her name, Annie something, but um, but because uh, I don't want to butcher it. But anyway, so that, so we got a big uh, we got a big thing coming next week. It looks like we're going to move along kind of the overarching story here. It'll be written by Ashley Gable and directed by Helen Shaver. Okay. There you are, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we will wait until March 24th, but we won't be happy about it. <sighs> well, Doug, I'll miss you until then. Well, you know, I'm just a nutball. What do you know? I know, but I'll just have to make do with that autographed headshot that you sent me. <laughs> oh, worth every penny, right? Yes, yes. I've paid nothing for it. <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Person of Interest Podcast. We've had a whole lot of fun talking about the show. We hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about the show. And we'll be back when Person of Interest is back. And until then, I'm Daryl. And I'm going to go check all my pins to see if any of them have hidden cameras. Mm. And I'm Doug saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit and all of his nutball friends watching over you. 